The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Hey there, TV lovers, and welcome to episode five of Remember That Ho Ho Ho, the show where we talk about the many appearances of Santa Claus in film and television. This time around, we're talking about Jenny McCarthy in Santa Baby and... Wait, that's not right. Guess I'm getting too into the holiday spirit. Oh man, I really messed that up. <laughs> it's okay, Will. I mean, it sounds like you just need a second chance. I don't blame you for having Jenny McCarthy on the mind. After all, boys will be boys. Take two. Remember that show back Hey there, TV lovers, and welcome to episode five of Remember That Show, the podcast where we revisit the obscure or forgotten television shows of the 80s and 90s. This time around, we're getting into an early star vehicle for the late Matthew Perry, a Fox sitcom from the late 80s that originally premiered as Second Chance, but was abruptly retooled mid-season and transformed into Boys Will Be Boys. Oh, this is going to be fun. Well, this is going to be quite a conversation tonight. That is for sure. But here's the thing. Before we get into the fascinating story behind this obscure sitcom, it's time that we told you a little bit more about our own childhood TV history in a segment we call Theme Song. Well, well, we are here in the Christmas season, and the show deals with heaven and hell, at least initially. Uh, so I wanted to follow up on something you talked about in our first episode, when you said you watched a lot of religious TV programming in your house growing up. So it made me wonder, what was the most entertaining Christian children's television show you watched? Or was it a televangelist that was the most memorable to you? Like, what stands out? Oh, wow. The televangelist mainly stood out. I mean, when it came to, like, scripted TV, TV didn't really get into that. Like, they kind of skimmed the surface. So I would say I was, like, a big highway to heaven person because I think I have NBC in my blood. So, like, I remember watching Highway to Heaven where, like, every episode is basically the Incredible Hulk, only Michael Landon doesn't Hulk out. Like, <laughs> he and that bearded guy just go from town to town helping people and giving them diet Christianity and then moving on to the next town. <laughs> But, like, the televangelists were, like, a big deal. I remember being in my crib and having to watch, like, the 700 Club and Robert Tilton and all these guys. But the most memorable one was probably when I was in my, like, tweenish period. Is this guy named Benny Hinn. And he's still around. But, like, he was, like, the Jerry Springer of televangelists. Especially, like, when Jerry Springer was at his peak, Benny Hinn was at his peak. 
And he would have like these live shows where he was like laying on hands and like healing people. And they would like fly across the room like he gave them a Hadouken. <laughs> <laughs> he was just very very over the top so like he's the one who like sticks out to me and like i said i he's still going somewhere so wow okay see i thought you were gonna go the, the one i remember from sunday mornings in my area was Superbook. do you know about Superbook? Even? no oh so this was an anime it was anime of bible stories but it's done kind of a cutesy style this is what got my attention so they had like a little robot sidekick and it's like the bible lands on a keyboard in front of their home pc and then it gets sucked into the computer and now it's digitized and then the kids can go into the super book which is the bible and see the adventures for themselves but in my area they had these live action opening and closing segments maybe in the middle too where they were having a like a Sunday school teacher lady and a guy in costume as the robot with a really nasty voice. I don't understand. What is faith? You know, that kind of thing. And then the kids would be teaching him and the Sunday school teacher would be teaching him. And so it was just, it was so bizarre to me, like observing all of that. And I've tried to find it online because Superbook is still a thing, but it's all like CGI now. And even like that, like they have a new robot thing, but those interstitials are nowhere. There's no record even just photographs and i think i have it on one of my childhood vhs tapes somewhere that i recorded so i, I might be the only person that has a record I, I gotta put that up one of these days i smell a future episode because you know they were forced to destroy it when they realized the robot was an abomination before the lord that's so. the thing there was a dangerous <laughs> a choice to make your cute character played by a fallible human <laughs> It's amazing, though, how many, like, franchises exist in that world that, like, just never cross over. Like, I grew up in a Christian school, like a private school, and we did this, like, Christmas program with a character named Salty, and it's kind of like storybook where, like, Salty is, like, the personification of the Book of Psalms, but he's just a big blue book person. <laughs> I have seen that somewhere, yes, yeah, Salty. But also, like, even going back before us is Davy and Goliath. You got your stop motion. I was like, is this Gumby? It's not Gumby, but it looks like Gumby, you know, like, yeah, it was just an interesting world back then. And of course, VeggieTales, I think, is like the biggest success, right? That's the crossover. That right, right. VeggieTales kind of sneaks it in there. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Now it's time to find out what divine path was laid out in the television heavens that allowed Second Chance to get the green light. We are really doing this episode in tribute to the television legacy of Matthew Perry, who passed away this year and left behind an amazing body of work. What many people may not know is that Matthew Perry was actually the son of a handsome 70s TV actor named John Perry, who aside from leading roles on the short-lived Paper Dolls with Morgan Fairchild and Falcon Crest, was best known in pop culture as the Old Spice spokesman in TV commercials for a decade. I don't remember him. I think the black guy one just kind of retconned him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got hunky guy now. Back then, it was a different kind of hunky, I guess. But that's like, my dad wore a lot of Old Spice. I think he just wanted to be like John Perry, you know? There you go. <laughs> 
There you go. Well, Matthew Perry started his career by appearing as a guest star on 80 sitcoms like Charles in Charge, Silver Spoons, Growing Pains, Just the Ten of Us, Empty Nest, and Who's the Boss? Second Chance slash Boys Will Be Boys was his first starring role on a sitcom, though he would get another shot pre-friends on a show called Sydney, starring Valerie Bertinelli, aka Mrs. Eddie Van Halen, the former star of 70 sitcom One Day at a Time. And there was another one, he did a show on TGIF called Home Free, which is actually not very good, but maybe we'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will come up again. I did want to mention though real quick that, you know, Perry also managed to be cast in movies at this time. So he was in A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon with River Phoenix and She's Out of Control with Tony Danza, both of which found him playing kind of a preppy snob, kind of a villain, and both of which I own on VHS. Only one of them is good though, and it is the one starring Amy Dolan's. It is not the one starring River Phoenix. But getting back to his TV work here, Will, I do have to ask, what show do you most associate Matthew Perry with outside of his iconic role as Chandler Bing on Friends? Like, it's kind of interesting to think because he did go on to do a lot of like critically acclaimed I think he won Emmys and stuff of beyond friends but I, I don't know how many people focus on that I mean are we talking pre-friends are we talking post friends because I mean like pre-friends he was just like that guy yeah. You know, he was he was everywhere. We listed them all, but like he was popping up all over the place. He was kind of like Bumper Robinson. If you don't know who that is, Google him because he's one of the unsung heroes of character actors of the 80s and 90s. But same with like Matthew Perry. He was just everywhere. And I'm surprised he didn't go further in that era because if you do like the evolution chart, you've got Scott Bayo to Matthew Perry to Michael J. Fox. And like the two outliers had movies going on, but Matthew Perry in the middle just kept getting lost a little bit. But then after Friends, there's so many because they didn't want that to be like a one-off success for those people. So there were always eyes on like all of their post-Friends roles. But to me, the one I cared about the most was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Aaron Sorkin's takedown of SNL. It premiered the same season as 30 Rock and every Everyone expected it to win and 30 Rock to lose, and that is not what happened. But I cherish that one season of the show that we did get, and I thought he was great on there working opposite of Bradley Whitford. Yeah, I know you love your Saturday Night Live, so I was sure that was going to be your pick. What's funny is, like, I'll just be honest, I thought of him as a movie guy. After Friends, I was like, he did that movie with Selma Hayek, right? But he was still on Friends, wasn't he? I guess that's true. Yeah, that was kind of in that era. But then, he was also in Almost Heroes. I was a big Chris Farley fan, and you're giving me a confused face right now, Will. Do you know about Almost Heroes? Uh Uh-uh. I know he did the whole Yards franchise. I don't know Almost Heroes. Yeah, so this is like Chris Farley's last full movie that he made, and it was directed by Christopher Guest, of all people, and it's basically an alternate reality Lewis and Clark. It's two guys who are trying to get to the Pacific before Lewis and Clark, and so they're just like misfits and people, and Matthew Perry just 
plays this kind of like foppish guy, you know, who has to deal with the loutish uh, Chris Farley character who claims to be this great outdoorsman, but really just doesn't seem to know what's going on. And so he's trying to keep it all together. It's not a great movie, but it has some really funny bits. And I watched it endlessly. I don't even know if it did come out in theaters. If it did, it was very short because I saw the poster in the movie theater, but I never was able to buy a ticket. And then it showed up at Blockbuster and I bought my previously viewed copy. So... (laughs) That's one of those things that sounds horrible on paper, but I'm sure the performances sold it. <laughs> like, like you you tell me the cast and I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. But if you just gave me the synopsis, I'm like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely the character actors that are in this movie. They bring it to life in a, in a great way. I'll have to check that one out. As, as we know, I'm not Mr. Movie. There's yeah. so many movies I haven't seen, but chances are I'll probably watch it before I see Titanic. So chances are good. <laughs> but when we talked about Parker Lewis last episode, I claimed it was the most Fox show on Fox in the 90s. But in the early days of the network from 1987 to 1989, they had several high concept sitcoms, some of which were retooled and changed completely during the run of the show. For example, a show called Mr. President had George C. Scott going for laughs as a newly elected president in the White House. Women in Prison was basically orange as the new black for prime time. And Karen's song centered around a middle-aged divorcee, played by Patty Duke, being encouraged to date a 28-year-old guy by her daughter, played by a young Terry Hatcher. Then there was Duets, which began as a series about the comedic romance between a novelist and a caterer, but due to the popularity of their supporting cast, in the second season, the showrunners decided to change the series to focus on those characters and rebranded the show as Open House in the third season. Do you know about Open House? Do you know about duets? <laughs> oh, I yes. Mean, I was Mr. Fox Sunday night. Yeah. Like, I will readily admit, I don't remember Karen's song, but I remember Mr. President. I remember women in prison. I remember duets because duets was Sunday Night Fox. But I honestly forgot about the rebrand to Open House until like your research. It's unrecognizable when you look at what duets was to what Open House was because duets is like a domestic romantic single people sitcom, right? But then it had a lot of like dramatic stuff. And then you go to Open House and it's basically like news radio, but set in a real estate office. It's just, it's just just a workplace comedy sitcom and Ellen DeGeneres that was like her first big you know role on a sitcom at that point you're like what well the reason I always remember duets it like still stays with me because I felt like the leading man was such an everyman like he's such a like maybe it's an 80s thing but like he is not a leading man (laughs) And I, I think don't mean Fox it, had that problem. I think Fox made that choice several times and it doesn't work out. Yeah. And he doesn't have the redeeming thing of like, okay, Paul Reiser's not conventionally attractive, but he's funny. Like he didn't have the like quirky humor. He wasn't a Seinfeld. He's just this milk toast receding hairline guy. <laughs> I will never forget his face because I don't think he ever did anything that wasn't Fox. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> can you think of another sitcom that got a major and noticeable over? 
overhaul. Oh, I mean, the one that always stands out to me the most because I only knew the overhaul. And then years later, when I found out it had a whole life before that is the Hogan family is what I remember. But it started out as a show called Valerie's Family. We were talking about Valerie Bertinelli. It's not that Valerie. This is Valerie Harper, who was Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And so it's about her and her family. And then she held out to get a raise. And then basically the producers are like, forget you. We're literally going to kill off your character and replace you with Sandy Duncan in the third season. And she's going to come in and just be taking care of your family for you. Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. Because I, again, like, I just, oh, I remember the Hogan family, Jason Bateman. Yeah, I used to watch that. And then to find out that it didn't start out as the Hogan family always blew my mind. Oh, no. I was there for Valerie. I was there for Hogan. And like Valerie's family slash Hogan family is one of those shows that sticks with me. I feel like in that era, especially because it was like the era of the very special episode, there's always that one that stays with you. And that show taught me the dangers of electrical fires because there's an episode where they are playing with a lamp in the attic and it burns down the house. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know if they got like a bigger budget and wanted to just remodel the house, but it burns down the house. <laughs> I didn't understand the relationship dynamics at that age. It wasn't until like the past 10 years that I came to realize Sandy Duncan was supposed to be their aunt. Yeah. I just thought like, wow, dad moved on quickly, <laughs> but they never kissed. But I mean, I grew up on I Dream of Jeannie. They rarely kissed, so it didn't mean much. You know? What about for you? Is there like a significant significant show that you saw like just change completely and you're like oh interesting <laughs> it was definitely the era of the retool a lot of that had to do with like it was one way on network and then it got saved by syndication but like they couldn't afford the people i mean we saw that with charles in charge with a completely different family we saw an overhaul with give me a break mama's family but the one that i always kind of remember because it was network was top of the heap becoming Vinny and bobby i am a, an early fox historian like all these shows that lasted one season meant a lot to me. And I always felt like Matt LeBlanc must have had a talent holding deal with Fox at that time because they just shoved him wherever they could. And so it's like Matt LeBlanc shows up as Vinny Verducci on Married with Children, spins off into Top of the Heap with his father, and then that spins off it's almost a mid-season retool like we're talking about tonight where then dad disappears he was played by joe bologna and then it becomes Vinny and bobby of just like two guys in the city sharing an apartment meeting women that it was two friends <laughs> dos amigos <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that did seem to be like, if you're just going to retool every show to be that, why not just start a show like that? You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, that's great. But I definitely remember Top of the Heap. That was one of those where it's like, wait, he's almost Al Bundy, but he's not. Okay, right, I, right, I right. see what's happening here. But, you know, this is the thing. We were talking about how that seemed to be the path that Fox was on. So I think we got to find out just what this forgotten show was all about as we give you the elevator pitch. Well, Second Chance premiered on the Fox Network in 1987 with a far-out concept that you'll really have to pay attention to. As we learn in the pilot, a man named Charles Russell 
played by Kyle Martin, crashes his hover car while racing through traffic in the far-off year of 2011, and upon his death ends up in the office of St. Peter, played by Joseph Mayer. Charles is deemed not bad enough for hell and not good enough for heaven. They call him a blue light. So he's sent back to 1987 in order to guide his younger self, played by Matthew Perry, who goes by the name Chaz, in making better life choices in hopes of gaining himself a trip through the pearly gates. He does this by renting a room from Chaz's mom, Helen, played by Daniel LaRusso's mother from The Karate Kid, Randy Heller. And after meeting with St. Peter each episode to get his missions, gives advice on how to avoid making mistakes that will turn him into a scuzzy guy who's not all that bad, but not that great either, I guess. This premise is kind of confusing. Anyway, the series lasted nine episodes before the network executives decided that the ratings were not good enough and gave the producers a few weeks to revamp the show. This meant ditching Charles and St. Peter to let the hijinks of Chaz and his troublemaking high school buddies Booch and Eugene take center stage under the new name Boys Will Be Boys, which ran until 1988. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So get ready for the switcheroo here because Boys Will Be Boys kept the same setting of a home in Venice Beach where Chaz lives with a single mother and he tries to help her make ends meet by coming up with money-making schemes or just working a job, just depending on the episode. And usually the mastermind behind it all is his streetwise New York tough guy Fred Booch, played by Billy Gallo, and their dim-witted slacker pal Eugene, played by Damien Slade. <laughs> what a DC villain name. <laughs> and Chaz ends up having an on-again, off-again relationship with the girl next door, Debbie, played by Terry Ivins. But is often tempted into romance by a lot of hot 80s girls who are brought around by the ladies' man, Booch, who just seems to have girls throwing themselves at him constantly. And then the other change in the series, though, is that Booch now shares the apartment above the garage with Chaz, where they live like they're swinging bachelors, even though they're high school seniors, but they act like they are independent, pretty much. Also, of course, there's no mention of a former renter named Charles, who may or may not have been a reincarnated time traveler from the future, said to be a guardian angel to Chaz. That's never brought up. They never mentioned anything along those lines. So it's just like fresh start, but not quite fresh. A soft reboot. Yeah. <laughs> the show was definitely unique. So let's start out with identifying what entertained us most as we give the show some cheers. So I think we're going to do this in two parts. So we'll talk about what was good about Second Chance. We'll talk about what was good about Boys Will Be Boys. I, the only thing I can say, Second Chance, I think was at its best when it focused on St. Peter and all the famous dead people who visited him from heaven. Like the humorous take on the afterlife was much more interesting than the stuff on earth. And I think Joseph Mayer is doing his best with corny dialogue. He's just always been an interesting presence on screen. I'm just curious, what do you know him from? Because he was like a perennial like, just like snooty guy on sitcoms that's the thing he's he's almost like matthew perry he's just that guy like i can't nail down I, it's not like oh he's from princess bride or anything like that it's just like oh it's that guy they got him on a show. Yeah, <laughs> mustache, know? white hair. I know him best from The Shadow. I always go back to The Shadow. There were so many great character actors in that, and he plays the director of this museum of natural history or whatever in that. So he's got some pretty prominent scenes. I actually just bought 
the shadow because of you. Yes! All right. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yes, yes. Uh, but what do you think, Will? Like, what do you think of this the second chance concept? What, what was good? I loved Second Chance. You can't make that show today. And I'm really starting to, like, long for... I'm getting into my, like, get off my lawn old man era. <laughs> and, like, you can't do that anymore. I love early fox like i love that like it seems so like corny and tame now but they were breaking rules that was not conventional television like there were boycotts i remember the era of like we couldn't wear simpson shirts to school you know and now it's like people would think the simpsons oh it's lame well back then it was like the edgiest show on tv he was telling adults to eat his shorts so it's like i love everything about first five years of fox so looking at this like even just the fox fanfare before it starts like networks don't do that anymore i loved the setting, I love the premise, like you said, the supernatural stuff. Some of it's corny, like we saw Shakespeare and we saw whatever, but I mean, Mayer's doing the best with what they give him, you know, like he's yeah. acting the hell out of like the material. And I love the casting. It, it is interesting though, I know like there are a lot of memes and stuff about like how people were a certain age back then and we look at them now, we're like, oh God, they look old as hell. Like Charles is supposed to be 39, but he looks looks like what a modern day 55 year old looks like yes he's a silver fox basically yeah and it wasn't like oh he wasn't playing his age he passed away at 46 so it's like he was 39 they just don't make him like that anymore. yeah well and even like randy heller you know she's the exact same as she was in the karate kid movie which is to say great she has so much energy she gets some zingers here and there even though the show is not about her but every time she's on screen you're happy to see her and i think she's a great part of the cast and i was just so excited i was like i didn't know she did tv like that's so neat i just think she's a film actress of course <laughs> apparently she was in mad men i didn't recognize her you wow. know but like it, i felt like her character is such a like template of that era it's like she was studying from the ellen travolta playbook from charles in charge you know yeah. they're like the same character but one thing i really loved was how in sync perry and martin are as like charles and Chaz, not being related like if they had actually cast john perry then it wouldn't be as amazing because you'd be like oh well it's kind of genetic like uh they've synced their movements and their mannerisms and whatnot but that was like some of my favorite parts of those first nine episodes of like oh look they're drinking milk the same way they're crossing their legs the same way and it's not like you see them counting off in their head or anything like that like they just kind of pull it off i don't know i just love goofy premises and those first nine episodes were just everything i wanted I do want to mention, you know, we have our theme song segment where we do not talk about the theme song of the show, but this one I feel like we have to because it is so, again, 80s in and of itself. And the lyrics will explain the premise of the show in addition to narration from the Charles Russell character saying, you know, I died in 2011, I had to go back, all that. And then the chorus is, is going to tell you got to go back over and over again. But the song, I don't know if listening to it, you immediately could tell who wrote it but it is written and performed by the same guy who did the punky brewster theme song and it's you in the same key and that was another thing i loved i'm glad you like segued into that because the creators of this show were david w duclon i guess you say yeah. it. i've seen his name for 
40 years and still can't pronounce it, and Gary Mentir, and they worked together on Punky Brewster. So what happened there is like, if you look at the shows they did together, it was like a family sitcom. It was kind of tame, kind of like whatever. But like I was saying how Fox was kind of edgy, they kind of had to, for lack of a better explanation, they had to put some stank on it because they were on this edgy network. And I think they pulled it off. You know, it wasn't like they were kind of like faking this. There's a lot of dated humor there, but it still kind of works, especially like they couldn't have even predicted it but the show is sort of known in circles because it had a resurgence in popularity about a decade ago because it predicted Qaddafi's death yeah in the pilot they say that he will die in july of 2011 and then he ends up dying in october of 2011 in reality so when that happened everybody's like hey there was this matthew perry show that predicted he was gonna die this year you know it's kind of funny because fox as a network is kind of like edgy and crude sometimes which seems to be the other side of the coin of the fox corporation but like there are jokes in the first nine episode, kind of like, I don't want to say like xenophobic, but they are in line to the point that looking back from today, I'm like, huh, I guess it kind of works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's like, for example, Charles gets a job at the convenience store and they're like, well, how'd you get a job without like any information or social security number? And he's like, I, I just pretended I couldn't speak English and they just hired me on the spot. You're yeah, like, lines but... up with Fox News. <laughs> it yeah. lines up. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I mean, well, it, but speaking of the edginess, like that's what they realized. We need even more edge. We need to make this new and hip and edgy. And right. so when they retool it to be boys will be boys, it is focusing on the lives of young people in the late 80s. So it's capturing that moment. Like even like Eugene has like this bleached like bang hair in the front. You know, he looks like he's in Kajagoogoo. But it has more attitude and flash and they make Booch the Fonzie. Okay, so he's a hundred percent just Fonzie. He wears a leather jacket, he's got it all. But he is also like the catalyst for most of the plot lines. And Matthew Perry is just like the grounded straight man. So Booch comes in and he's got some crazy thing going on in his life because of girls he's known or whatever. It's all over the place. But when you say, like, you know, you love early Fox, Boys Will Be Boys reminds me much more of Drexel's class, which I think we're gonna have to cover someday with Dabney. Coltman, oh, which was yeah. a much more consistent show than Boys Will Be Boys, but I'm just like, the vibe is right there. It's like, we're gonna put in a lot of hot girls every episode, you know, like Married to Children did. We're just gonna have like a hot blonde come in, and then there's gonna be these guys just kind of making semi-sexist remarks, but Boys Will Be Boys was fairly tame, you know, it didn't go totally over the edge, but yeah, so there, there's a lot going on there to bring people in, and just more energy, I guess is what I liked about Boys Will Be Boys. You just, you feel it immediately. Well, I feel like Booch steals the show to the point that I was convinced Billy Gallo was dead. <laughs> because, like, why wasn't there, like, something built around him going forward? And then I look him up, I'm like, that dude's still acting as, like, undercover cop number three and things like that. Well, but, I was like, like, he should have transitioned from Boys Will Be Boys to Jake on California Dreams just a few years later. He's the guy. He's the template. 
He is. But we got to talk about the new version of the theme song then, because boys will be boys. The theme song is showing like all these people at the beach and girls in bikinis. And it's like, it drops the lyrics and then it remixes though the same melody, the same tune, but it has super synthy drums and keyboard, you know, loud saxophone on it. It actually, it reminds me of the season three theme song remix of My Secret Identity, because that, that added like screaming electric guitar and smoky vocals. And you're just like, oh. Oh, yeah, it's a new attitude. It came in. But it's just so funny because if you listen to it, you can hear the gotta go back chorus right, and everything right, is still right. in there, but there's no words. <laughs> I am not a fan. I like theme songs with lyrics like doing some research on this it seems like it was a common thing especially over on nbc during the 85 86 season all of the veteran shows got an 80sification remix like we're talking like different strokes facts of life all of the longest running ones was like okay it's time to bring them into the present and i actually like those remixes but i don't like this one because i feel like theme songs are almost like the way people feel about comic book movies people say why are these companies so ashamed of their source material you know like why won't they wear spandex why won't they do this and that same with theme songs it's like we went from like let's say gilligan's island where it's a situation of they're telling you everything you need to know going into it then we had the mike post era of like the 80s where like everything was awesome like if it was instrumental he did it but otherwise like you had these great could be pop single songs then we moved into instrumentals and then we got rid of them entirely so to me this is the beginning of the end <laughs> yeah why well, i think like the miller boy yet theme songs are like their own genre because they don't necessarily tell the story but they are just like the attitude the energy exactly like you said it may have had a resurgence you know if people are interested in the death of Momar Gaddafi uh, that, that that was what was bringing them in to checking out the show on YouTube but I would say based on the lifespan of it the, the show probably had more wrong than right hence why it's not talked about as much these days even in our retro circles so let's get our pitchforks out and post Poke it with our jeers. Boo! Boo! So I'm going to say this. You love it. I don't know what you're going to find here, but I, I'm just going to say my biggest problem with Second Chance is the idea of the two leads. You said you liked that they were in sync, that they could act like the same character. But I think because it then has to split time equally between their storylines each episode, it, this Kyle Martin guy as Charles he is dull. Like, especially the first two episodes, he is just like zero energy. He picks it up a little bit, like as the, as the series goes on to those first nine episodes. But whenever you have to focus on him worrying about his younger self and trying to figure stuff out, it's a drag. If he's not in the scene with Joseph Marr, I'm just like, I, I, I'm not interested. Like, I, this guy, like, he should not be here. <laughs> you, you're definitely right because it affects the pacing. One thing I noticed about the first nine episodes, definitely, is that it feels like a two-act show it doesn't feel like it has a full three acts because of like the time shared between the two i don't know if they use that to like cheat or what but there were episodes where i felt like i wanted them to show not tell there was a lot of like exposition and there was a lot of like hey you should have seen back there this dude almost drowned like why didn't we just see dude almost drown you know it felt rushed and i mean i know that there is the pop culture joke of how sitcoms wrap up every problem in 22 minutes but this show really did but 
the problems never fully developed in order to like they wrapped them up prematurely and everything just felt rushed it's the pacing is off because like you said they're splitting the time between two leagues. yeah like because charles knows what's gonna happen he could just say hey don't do this just take my advice and then he comes back and Chaz is like oh i didn't make the bad decision after all and everything worked out just, yeah so it's just like super cheap in that way to jump to the end but the other part of it and so many sitcoms you could say are like problematic in making any sense like oh well this would never happen in real life but you go with it this one though i can't go with because the problem is he is a total stranger who literally shows up he materializes in their house if Chaz turns around he's like what are you doing here helen walks in who are you why are you in my house and then he has to talk them down and then they rent to him out of pity because he says he has amnesia and he has no money and all this stuff then he inserts himself into Chaz's personal life very forcefully in like a paternal way and at one point Chaz even calls him out on it and tries to get him kicked out he's like and I'm telling my mom like it's a joke but he literally tells her she's like you have to go like we don't want you here so it's just like he seems a hundred percent like an insane person and he's not a charming one so there's no reason they would keep him around at all I hear you I hear especially about Kyle Martin. I definitely he's got like a cold serial killer thing to yeah. him. But like I see that and I raise you there were two single girls who find a drunk guy passed out in their bathtub. They invite him to live with them, but in order for it to work, they lie to their landlord and say that he's gay. <laughs> and they proceed to live with him for the next 8 years. <laughs> so, here's my thing with the show. Yeah. We're too smart for it now. We basically are, and that's kind of why I love it, because with the stressors of life and everything, this is pure escapism. But I had to turn off a lot of brain cells, because in this day and age, this would be like an arc. You know, TV back then wasn't episodic. It was more like, we can show this in any order in syndication. Now, you could check in and be like, oh, this is the season where Tony and Angela are together. But that's pretty much confined to one season. You know, like, it's not a build. So, my thing with this is that... I'm too smart for it right now. So watching the pilot, I'm like, okay, he's not good enough for heaven, but he's not bad enough for hell. So he has to do these good works to get into heaven. But we haven't changed the fact that he's still going to die at 39. That doesn't change. Meanwhile, he's in the past, changing the past, but he has no memories of this old guy who came to live with them at the time. So, like, now we're dealing with, like, predestination paradox and alternate splintering timelines. We didn't know that crap back then, but we know it now. So that comes into like show doctors where it's like, you got to <laughs> suspend disbelief for this show. But I still feel like it was at its strongest in this half. I know you prefer boys will be boys. Here's my thing. Fox was a fledgling network. And one thing that people don't realize is that studios, creators, writers, whatever. Sure, they want to work, but they also want a sure thing. They don't have faith in fledgling networks. So when a network starts, it is usually picking from a pool of cast-offs from the established networks. There is a great book called Season Finale about how UPN and the WB started. And UPN's first season is comprised of nothing but pilots that NBC rejected. 
And it's the same thing here where you can kind of see, I I've always said my mutant power is to tell you the identity of a show. Like, oh, why is this show on NBC when it's clearly a CBS show? And that's my issue here where the first nine episodes or second chance is a Fox show. But once it becomes boys will be boys, it's great value Charles in charge. But I understand that boys will be boys is more marketable. I'm actually surprised given the time and the landscape of TV that they didn't just take it to syndication when Fox passed on it. I don't know if there were like financials tied up, but so many shows did that back then and lived like three to five more years. Yeah. So like the identity of the show, I watch it and it's like, I love Matthew Perry. He has, he exudes this like, you're going somewhere someday. And sadly, I don't think he ever achieved it. We can say Chandler Bing, yeah, it's an iconic sitcom character, but he wasn't this breakout movie star. Like he didn't translate into Michael J. Fox. Like, there are a lot of great sitcom people who sucked at movies. Bill Cosby, John Ritter. Like, John Ritter's most acclaimed cinematic role is Sling Blade, you know? Nobody mentions Stay Tuned. Nobody mentions, like, that's our bread and butter. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if he reached his potential, even though, like, Chandler was awesome. But it's like, I see all that, and I like the ingredients. I can see where Second Chance would have gone. It's like, okay, season three or four, the mom is gonna start crushing on Charles, and it's gonna be a weird dynamic because she doesn't know that's her kid but she's gonna love the things in him that she loves in Chaz and like oh yeah I got ideas. Well, I, I but, think they, they hinted that and you think it's back to the future all of a sudden and that is the thing is I think this is you know Second Chance is a movie script premise it's not a television series premise. Exactly. Know? And this is to his detriment, but it was ahead of his time because it is a show that requires an end date. It's My Name is Earl. They established this whole thing of he eventually has to, like, the only thing that was missing, and this probably would have helped, but it would have screwed it up in the long run, was like a good deeds meter So, like, at the end of every episode, it's like, oh, you saved that kid from drowning. You're like 25% to get into heaven yeah. or something like that. Because I hate that they retcon those first nine episodes. There's no mention of Charles. There's no, like, bell ringing where, like, the Easter egg is, oh, I guess he got his wings <laughs> something like that it's purgatory Charles somewhere and we don't know about it yeah right right he never fulfills it but at the end of the day have your fun with booch you're still gonna die at 39 <laughs> and that's the problem i have with yeah, well, it ultimately, uh, you know, I say I enjoy the energy of Boys Will Be Boys, and I, I feel like it's an improvement, but the problem is, instead of having a confusing premise, it has no premise. No premise. It's Every Charles other in Charge. Yeah, well, but er even Charles in Charge at least had a formula. The right. Boys Will Be Boys, every other episode is like a new pilot. I is it about a kid whose troublemaking best friend has to move in with his family because his alcoholic dad dies? You know, like, is it a high school comedy with Stuart Pankin as a cantanker? teacher is about a guy who manages a fast food restaurant it's like it's all of these things it's none of these things they never pick a lane and the tone is all over the place because they have like goofy 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 this person just died <gasps> And then you're like, you hear the audience like, am I supposed to laugh or not? Like they get so confused because it's like a live studio audience. They're like, ah! 
You mentioned job and like that brought me back to some other problem I had because I'm too smart for this show in 2023. <laughs> what happened to the owner of the convenience store? Did Charles kill him? Because <laughs> Charles takes over this. He doesn't just work there. He does he own it? Like, well, he works at the convenience store, but not enough time, even in 1987, where there are no background checks and all this, not enough time has transpired for him to get that job. So it feels like he was just placed there. Maybe he paid off the owner or the worker so he could intercept Chaz. But no, then it turns out that's his job. And I have questions. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know how that works. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of those things where they try to gloss over and then by explaining it even a little bit, it you're just like, no, that, that doesn't work that way. It's difficult in that way. I do just want to mention a few of the plot lines where Booch, like you say, takes over the show and boys will be boys. It's about him ultimately. Because what happens? So like they have this really dramatic scene, like, you know, his abusive alcoholic father basically kicks him out. And then like he finds out that his dad walked in front of a car and got killed. And you're like, whoa, he goes to live with them. And then the next episode, this is right when they relaunched the series. Now it's all about his funeral and now Booch has a death wish and they're all worried about him on his motorcycle. Then there's another episode where Booch meets a girl. He likes her, but she's in a gang. All right. And then they start dating secretly and then her fellow gang members shoot her and you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is just fun time making fun, you know, of, of hoodlums. And then now he's all affected. Then there, it gets really twisted. There's an episode, you think it's going to be like a three men and a baby parody, and it sort of is. This old girlfriend comes back, she's like, remember before I left, this happened two years ago? And she drops off a baby on his doorstep with a note that says, this is our child. And he's like, what? This is crazy. And then, of course, he falls in love with the child. He decides, I'm going to be a teenage dad, I'm going to take care of it. Then they see a news report that this child was abducted by that girlfriend because she was trying to convince Booch, you would be a great father. Let's get back together. It's not our kid, but we'll have our own kid. And then she gets arrested. And it's just like, they do not have the right tone on this series at all. Because then they do like three episodes where they're in Vegas and it's just like wacky nonsense. And you're just like, I don't understand what you guys were going for, like at all. Right. Because I mean, it was the era where different strokes ruined everybody. Like you were required to do the very special episode. You had to like balance your like episode order with those yeah but one thing i always wanted stressed the show when it is second chance there is a theme that this is what happens when a single parent household is worn thin and can't properly monitor their child because Chaz gets into all sorts of stuff. It was probably worse than like network television wants to show us, but he comes back to stop it. You know what I mean? It's like most of the, like a kid drowned <laughs> and he carried that with him his whole life. But it's the whole idea that like, he's going to end up better by intervening in his own life because his mom wasn't there to be a presence, you know? And like, there are other signs of that. The eighties are full of the wacky best friend, the, the other side of the coin, best friend, the like, 
other class best friend and it's like shows like ooh anybody could be friends but by like episode four I'm like why does she let her son be friends with Booch? Booch yeah. is a bad influence especially after he shoots your son and you let him move in <laughs> like and that's the last time we see Charles <laughs> it's the shooting episode <laughs> yeah camping he gets shot yeah I mean it, it's it's wacky like where they were decided to take it it's like they didn't earn the special episode that's what it comes down to ultimately like yeah. so there's a lot going on there and if charles is shot somebody's got to administer some first aid so <laughs> well fox seemed willing to try anything at this time and had already extended the life of the series once so we're going to share i share our ideas for how second chance boys will be boys could have come back better stronger faster as we become the show doctors We come at this from two angles, right? It's like, could we have saved it at the time? Is it worthy of a reboot now? Is there a way to make the premise work? So what's on your mind, Will? I've got both. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, So... At the time, I would have done just what I already alluded to earlier, take it to syndication. I know I play that card a lot, but back then, it was the golden age of first-run syndication. That thing, pre-UPM, pre-WB, you could have gotten another three to five years on it, Saturdays sandwiched between, like, Charles in Charge and Out of This World. Because people forget, Out of This World was a horrible show that got 96 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yes... Second Chance could have lasted. And I would have left it Second Chance. I wouldn't have retooled it to Boys Will Be Boys. I would retcon the retcon. And once it moved to syndication, it would be one of those things like, hey, where you been? Oh, I was in the bathroom. <laughs> you know? Would you have Charles reveal himself then? Oh, it has to happen. Yeah. But um, the question is timing. Back then, it was all about, like, how much life do you want to get out of the show? Because what that changes the dynamic if he knows he's talking to himself and he wants to know about the future. Wow. And shows back then didn't have a show Bible. You know, like, that's something you got to come in with now. Like, what is the arc of this? Where do we want to be in five years? Back then, it was just kind of like, just make sure you don't put us against Cosby. You know? <laughs> it would have just been wacky hijinks every episode with Charles. Hopefully, over time, he would develop a personality because he is kind of he's a blank slate not in a good way but i want the supernatural quirkiness of second chance and i'd change nothing else although i know later in boys will be boys they add some more cast members i think they need a fourth friend because they need someone to balance out booch is the tough and then Eugene is a weird character that you don't see anymore. He's a dweeb, not a nerd. It's see, true. that was one of those distinctions that got lost because over time, the dweeb and the nerd have merged. So now when you're the outcast guy, you're automatically smart. But Eugene's not smart. He's more of a Monroe from Too Close for Comfort. 
in the body of a screech. You know? <laughs> so like there's a lot of influences there, but I want to add a fourth and okay. he would probably be, let's just say he had a good appetite. <laughs> like that's the most PC, but that's what he would be. Okay, <laughs> so, that's fair enough. Okay, so since you have your in the moment way to bring second chance uh, back around, I want to see what I could do to give Boys Will Be Boys a second season really as something that would work, but it's going to be retooled. And here's where I'm going. Like I said, it, it never had a set premise. You know, it was just misadventures of horny teen guys. That's kind of what they were going for. And I think the best episodes, in my opinion, were those that were set at Zorro Burger. Matthew Perry's character, Chaz, was the manager of Zorro Burger. Nobody wore costumes there. They just had a big red Z and then a picture of a burger. And that was their logo. Anyway, also, I just want to pick your brain. Can you think of another sitcom that focused on fast food? There's lots of sitcoms about restaurants, but fast food specifically because it's such a huge part of teenage life and American diet in general it's our pop culture through food is fast food but i can't think of any show that's ever really exploited that yeah it's always like rachel's place the max it's always yeah. a restaurant that's the closest we got was beavis and butthead exactly. you know, that, that like... i thought yeah burger world yeah. on beavis and butthead i mean that was it and it's a great setting for a show because you get all sorts of people coming in and out so i would rebrand this final season because it probably wouldn't last beyond this but who knows maybe it would catch I would just call it fast food comma dude fast food dude because it's the late 80s we're getting into surfer talk and i would involve chaz more so even in the running of zorro burger like he's a guy who's like charged with like really turning the franchise around there'll be like you know a store where all the new trends are going to come around but i want to make it like cheers with a cast of wacky employees and eccentric beach-based regulars and this new blood in my opinion it's going to include like Edie clerk and she gives relationship advice on the drive-through headset like a talk radio psychologist okay so that, that's what she's doing you have a young james carey playing a fry cook who when pressured <laughs> to get orders ready is always responding doing a different celebrity impression there's a pre the golden palace cheech Marin. And he oh. is going to be Chaz's assistant manager, who's also an aspiring chef. And he's always trying to expand the menu beyond cheeseburgers, but with crazy results, right? Fusion food, you know? And finally, I just, I, I wanted to get them more work. Jenna Lee Harrison, aka Cindy from Three's Company, is going to be the klutzy but beautiful new girl that runs the register, alongside Wendy Jo Sperber, who is jealous of her blonde, leggy co-workers, always getting dating offers from the male customers and acting as a rival because Wendy Joe likes Chaz, you know, and she wants him, but he's interested in this blonde. So, of course, Booch has to still be around, but he is mostly like a customer and he'll just introduce chaos into the show with his wild schemes every once in a while. But really, you're there to see the main cast every week. But that's what I want. Fast food, the sitcom. See, I loved this. And then you just, you had to cheat because you know, if you make a threes company link, then I'm all in because <laughs> like Richard Klein is already Chaz's dad. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, oh, God, I want this show. <laughs> oh man. That's a great show. I, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I could get you. That is 
Perfect. Um, my present day idea, we already got it. It's called 17 again with Matthew Perry and Zach Efron. There it is. <laughs> it's the same damn thing. No, honestly, the only way to do it now is it would have to be a freeform drama. We don't have the CW anymore. So I can't say like, even though that's like ingrained, like the idea of like a, a drama on the WB, but I'd put it on freeform. It would bring in the same audience as Supernatural. And mm. I would do all the crap that I hinted at before. It's just, I could get a little raunchier with it. Like mom is really going to be into Charles. Had to happen. <laughs> but we're going to get us like a, a sexy Charles. He's going to be like Rob Estes or like Mark Consuelos. One of those like former soap opera actors, but like they're not too busy with like real jobs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I think it could have new life as like a teen focused supernatural drama is part quantum leap part supernatural but we can make it smarter because now we do have knowledge of branching timelines and predestination paradox and can you change the future and like maybe we find out that like when his car crashed he killed a family so now it's like less about him like wanting to live but now he's got to change their lives you can't put too much mythology in it because it'll get cancelled before they answer everything but you could still get a good four seasons out of that that definitely sounds like that's where they would go i i'm trying to imagine the serious version of second chance but but i i could definitely see it i think it almost plays better because you're not laughing at the premise you're just like there might be some ridiculous things in it that everybody looks back on and does their youtube videos about but overall everybody's like oh it was so great man second chance so yeah it's one of those like i don't know the hot young stars the the nick and disney shows i watch are still like 10 years old so it wouldn't be like our iCarly people but i think the mom the mom would be Daphne Zuniga oh. <laughs> like that I'm locked in on <laughs> non-negotiable <laughs> non-negotiable rest of the cast is up in the air but yeah I'm oh. good there man this is just such an interesting like whole concept at all just the retooling the everything that was going on what they were trying to achieve what they did achieve the only other thing I wanted to mention there's cameos every once in a while that you get you know it's it's that whole like hey you know I've seen that person somewhere Erica Elaniac who I know mainly is playing Ellie Mae in the Beverly Hillbillies movie from the 90s she stood out to me but the one that got me is there was this second chance episode called Plain Jane which was about Chaz having a date to prom who he ditched for a hot girl this nerdy girl who worshipped him and then she grows up to be like this sad washerwoman but the girl you know the teenage version of her is the older sister from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I'd never seen her in anything else except for that. It was awesome to see her. I didn't put that together because, yeah, I saw that episode and I was like, oh, they pulled a she's all that. Because that's one of my favorite tropes. Yeah. It's so lazy, but it's like, she's going to be hot in 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> I totally didn't realize that was her because in my mind, this is so like shameful, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids has been wiped for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the series. So I don't think of Rick Moranis. I think of Peter Scolari. Wow. And I don't, like, I think of the TV cast when I think of that franchise <laughs> now. Yeah, I'm I'm ruined. <laughs> well, there we go. And so this is our Christmas episode. We do want to wish everybody happy holidays and I hope you enjoyed that. But we're looking to the new year now. We're looking to 2024. And with the new year, we wanted to do a new genre 
of TV that we haven't discussed yet. We've done a lot of sitcoms, right? We've we've looked at, at that, you know, kind of classic style of TV in the 80s. But there is something that was also popping up that became very popular, and those were children's television game shows. Game shows for adults have been around for a long time, but something for the kids to get their dollars and do advertising, you know, to children in game show form. We're not going to announce which one yet. It might be one, it might be several, just depending on how much conversation we think we can get out of it. But this is going to be a real interesting exploration. How do we delve into our cheers and jeers? What what is this all going to be about? So look forward to that in January as we bring you our new episode. But it's more and more fun every time we get together, Will. So I'm so glad that we have teamed up for Remember That Show. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is, I look forward to this every month. This is great. Just remember, you can find us on the Retro Network. So that's at theretronetwork.com, at TRN Social, on your various social media platforms. Of course, you can find me at Hoju Coolander, also on the various socials. Where are you at, Will? I'm everywhere at William B. West. I've noticed lately people are saying their Instagram more than any other platform, but I can't get arrested on Instagram. So you should find me everywhere else as William B. West. Yeah, and if you're doing the TikTok thing, get over to TikTok because Will will give you more and more opinions. They're very entertaining, very well thought out. But hey, until next time, we're changing the channel. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.